You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. For Governor Greg Abbott on the Sergio Show. Hey, so how go all the uh, charter buses up to NYC and D.C., Governor? What's the latest? The volume just keeps picking up. Uh, and the reason, of course, is because the volume of illegal immigrants coming across the border is picking up. As you all probably talked about, uh, you know, we have more than 2 million illegal immigrants come across the border in just the past year. Biden should be proud. He set an all-time record. Not the record that we wanted set, but he is a, the you know, world record holder in this. Re- remember something this. This is slightly off point, but remember this. The border is so dangerous now. The United Nations declared uh, the American-Mexico border the deadliest inland border in the entire world. And that's what we're having to deal with. And because the Border Patrol is dumping off illegal immigrants in small little border towns like Del Rio Mm -hmm. that are completely incapable of dealing with this, uh, they asked me to help them out uh, because they were talking about busing uh, these folks up to San Antonio. I said, I got a better idea. Uh, We're going to send them all the way to Washington, D.C., and then New York. Because if Biden will not not come down to the border, which he's never been to before, uh, we're going to take the border to him. Uh, And it's been fascinating to watch how Washington, D.C. and how New York City, both of which, by the way, are sanctuary cities, they are incapable of dealing with this challenge. And they're begging for the National Guard to come in and help them out. Uh, And it's just idiotic uh, because, as you know, and as your audience knows, uh, they are, are getting in total. Well, we get on a daily basis. But the best thing to come out of this is now the entire country and now multiple national networks are are finally disclosing to America uh, exactly the chaos and catastrophe that Joe Biden has caused on the border. You know, I hear that Delaware is lovely this time of year as well, Governor, in case you want to send a few uh, charter buses in direction. A hundred percent, and we are looking at other locations, and we will continue to do so. Yeah, I don't know what they're, um, you know, squealing and crying about up in New York City, uh, up in D.C. After all, as you mentioned, they're sanctuary states, sanctuary cities. Everyone needs to pay their fair share, Governor, when it comes to illegal immigration. You have a guesstimate how many folks have been sent up northeast since you started this charter bus program, Muscle Minnows. It's, it's, it's got to be over 8,000 by now. I, I didn't get a total before I talked to you. I, I know that uh, a while back it was more than 7,500, but right. it's got to be uh, over 8,000, approaching 10,000. Man, 7,500. Man, that doesn't compare to the 700,000 plus, 800,000 plus that we see over several months around here. How goes the effort to get some donations for this? That, that was in the news a few days back, that, that, that fund, people donating for those charter buses. Uh, can, anything to report there? There is. And so we, uh, and, and by the way, the, the fund uh, that your listeners uh, can donate to if they want to is called uh, borderbus.texas.gov. That's borderbus.texas.gov. You just plug that into your browser and you'll find the link where you can donate to. Anyway, uh, we, we broadcast that early on and we, we got to. Uh, uh, meaningful donations uh, well into six figures. Uh, and then uh, out of the blue, uh, over this past weekend, we got a, a phone call uh, from someone in Chicago uh, that loved 
uh, what they were seeing, uh-huh. and they wanted they, they wanted to match dollar for dollar every dollar that we had already received as of that time. Uh, and so the, the money just continues to come in because Americans uh, support this uh, across the entire country. This is uh, an American challenge, and Americans want to step up and, uh, and weigh in on this, and they're weighing in in a big way to help us uh, push back against the Biden administration's chaotic open border policies. Governor Greg Abbott, our guest on the Sergio Show, I just wanted to seed an idea, Governor, uh, since, you know, after all, we do send uh, charter buses up, you know, Washington and, and New York. Uh, maybe consider, just an idea, Governor, uh, consider offering a return charter bus ride from New York or D.C. You know, business owners, professionals, hardworking, liberty-minded people that, you know, want better schools, better opportunities, prosperity. How about, you know, just would like to uproot, they're sick of it. They're sick of D.C., sick of New York. We offer a seat, return seat to Texas for these hardworking people. What do you think? Well, we have to uh, double-check their background and make yeah. sure that they're not... Yeah, the application process. To, application process. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 want, uh, we don't want New York values <laughs> uh, trying to alter our state or uh, California values altering our state or whatever the case may be. So yeah. we would need to do a background check on them. Here, here. Yeah. Here, here. All right. Yeah, you got a lot of people that are just sick of what's going, you know, what's taking place up there. Look, I know I've, I've barked up this tree before with you, and I know you made an announcement kind of sort of related to this, but I'm hoping that maybe I'll be able to finally climb up the tree on this one. Uh, you know where I'm going as far as declaring an invasion. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that NPR poll from just a few days ago. An NPR poll, Ipsos NPR. A majority of Americans, it's a slight majority, but hey, majority nonetheless, they recognize there is an invasion. So, you know, let's not you know, tiptoe around the tulips. Let's just go ahead and declare a real invasion, arrest people, send them back. Can you imagine the legal fight, high profile, giving you the chance to own this message at a time when people are saying the charter buses, everything else, finally wake up America to the human tragedy that... All the deaths, the rapes, the modern, you know, modern-day slavery, the extortion, all those things that are absent from the news. You'd own it, Governor. You'd own it by finally do, you know, seizing this function from the federal government saying, you, you screwed up, Biden. We're going to do border security. We are being invaded. Even NPR Ipsos, the poll, Americans know that we're being invaded. How about it, Governor? So I can't remember if I talked to you uh, and your audience after the last executive order that I issued. Uh, but I did exactly that. Let's go. Let's go back in time. This is only like last month, uh, and so I issued a new executive order, uh, and I invoked the the, the the two invasion clauses in the United States Constitution. Uh, one is Article Section Article Four, Section Four. Another is uh, Article One, Section Ten. Uh, and then I also invoked an invasion clause in the Texas Constitution. And I said, based upon that authority, uh, I am ordering the Texas Department of Public Safety to do exactly what you just said. Uh, and this is a new uh, part of the game plan that we use uh, in dealing with the illegal immigrants. Uh, now, uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety uh, is uh, arresting people uh, who come across the border and taking them right back uh, to the border. Uh, 
So let, let me explain fully to your audience so you can understand the, the multiple layers that we use to try to defend Texas. First is barriers. Texas is the only state in the history of the country to ever build its own border wall. Second is the National Guard. What the National Guard do, uh, they work on what are called turnbacks. Uh, they are uh, uh, in, in, on the border itself. Uh, and they are turning back tens of thousands of illegal immigrants trying to get across the border. Uh, if uh, people get past uh, the, the National Guard, that's when DPS comes in and arrests them uh, and returns them to the border. The people who fit on border buses, and the only people we do that with are the people who get to who they really want to get to, uh, and that is the, uh, the uh, Border Patrol. Once the Border Patrol processes these people, uh, they have a paper that allows them to stay in the United States. Uh, and hence, uh, we can't return them across the border, but we can send them to places like Washington, D.C., and New York. But listen, I've, I've, I've already made clear uh, that I've invoked the uh, invasion clauses of both the United States Constitution and the Texas Constitution. This is uh, an invasion, and we're making sure uh, that we're doing everything possible, not just that. We're, we're doing things no other governor has ever done in the history of the entire yeah. country to make sure that Texas is leading the way in securing our border. Yeah, I, I don't want to return to Border Patrol because they got their own problems. Uh, I just want to send across the yeah, border so, again. So just to make clear, yeah. we are no longer turning people over to the Border Patrol. We are returning people to the border. Okay. Uh, I'd like to flash that one out at a later date. Uh, listen, uh, I know i got about a few seconds left. Next legislative session, just watch your back, Governor. Watch your back, um, Power grid protection, electricity production in the state of Texas. I hope going into the next legislative session, Governor, uh, that's um, a major battle cry for Texas. We can do it, and we'll need it because with all the businesses coming to Texas, we need a lot more power generation down here and, and protection of our so grid. Yeah. I know you're short on time. Let me tell you real quick. For one, uh, we uh, already have uh, put into the system uh, we will be adding about 15% more power production already before what we do going in the next session. But I cannot emphasize enough. You know, you have uh, people like Beto out there saying every single day that the power grid is going to fail. And you know what? For 365 days, he's been wrong uh, because we went through the, the hottest April through July on record in the history of the state of Texas. And the power grid held up perfectly, never failing whatsoever. And we went through a, a one of the coldest winters this past winter, and the power grid held up perfectly. Ever since uh, Winter Storm Uri, ever since uh, the reforms that I signed, which are 14 bipartisan laws, no Texan has lost power because of the power grid. It has never performed better, despite the fact uh, that we set more than a dozen all-time record demand for power in the state of Texas. I know you married up, friend. Happy anniversary to you and Miss Sassy. Big hug and a kiss to her when you see her. You take care, Governor. Thank you so much. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. 
You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Rebecca Olaguibel is my guest right now. Did I say it right, Rebecca? Your name? Yes. Okay. Good morning. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining me. She's uh, Rebecca is retail and business development director for our city of McAllen. I got to ask you about your name because I went looking for it, Beck. I, went, I couldn't find, uh, uh, I could not find a language origin. For, do you know what Ola Gibel means? All I found was that it means. It's interesting, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. My husband is from Mexico City. And um, I mean, you know, when I met him, I, I was intrigued by the name also. It's got every vowel in it. So um, yes. then it's a real tongue twister. Uh-huh. Um, but he's from Mexico City. His family came in from Spain. And I believe they originated from the Basque region. There we go. It would make sense, all those roots. Well, <laughs> welcome to the program. So we, I heard this message on this 50-50 program inviting local business owners to spruce up, pretty up their properties. It's a 50-50 venture. So tell me all about this initiative. What's going on? Yes, of course. And and thank you so much for the invitation to talk about uh, Refresh 50-50 here in the city of McAllen. Um, Refresh 5050 is a reimbursement grant. Um, we launched it back in 2019. This is something that our mayor and city commissioners were really excited about. They really wanted to partner with local businesses. And um, what it's intended to do is is it's really intended to be a partnership with local businesses who have um, a business established here on either 10th Street or Business 83, 23rd Street, and it's so that we can split the cost on improvements of their exterior. So anything that is on the outside of a business, landscaping, new roof, windows, paint, lighting, things like that, um, are projects that qualify for the Refresh 5050 grant. Okay. And so, um, and and that's basically what it is, Sergio. It's just a storefront revitalization grant where the city of McAllen is partnering with local businesses. Parking is also outside. How about the parking lot? Yes? No? Yes, sir, as long as parking is outside. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 That's what normally most of that would be. But that'd be a major capital expense. So how much money are you talking about? How many businesses might we potentially be helping with this refresh 50-50? Well, since 2019, we have helped many, many businesses here in McAllen. It's really been a game changer because this is a grant. It's not a loan. They don't have to pay it back to us. Um, this is something, again, that we partner with these businesses for. And, you know, since we launched in 2019, we've been able to help several businesses um, that are located in the refresh zone. And in 2020, we um, we expanded our zone to include downtown, which we're really, really excited about because any of the downtown uh, business owners that are looking to um, refresh the, you know, the exterior of their business, this grant is available for them. Mm-hmm. Then it's like matching dollar per dollar, right? So let's say a company, a business on downtown or anywhere else in this refresh zone for McAllen. And it has to be McAllen specific, right? It's got to be somebody within the city limit, right? So, yeah, right. So they this pull, fork over. specifically designed for, for the city of McAllen. Okay. Yes, so they, they fork over 10,000 bucks for a new a sign, uh, at, you know, outside the business. So you go in 50-50, you give them a $5,000 check to cover half of the expense, or how does that work? 
That's exactly how it works. Okay. So we try to be as streamlined and uh, quick as possible with these um, applications because we know that uh, time is money, right? And so once we get an application in for um, someone that wants to refresh their business, um, we make sure that you know that they're within the city of McAllen. We make sure that they're in good standing with the city of McAllen, and we review their project. We make sure that the project that they're looking for is outside of their of their business storefront. And then they do the work, so they get the landscaping done, they get that new sign, they get you know their windows put in. They send us proof of payment, and we reimburse them for half. So if their grand total you know of their project was thirty thousand dollars, then we're going to give them fifteen thousand dollars. Okay, is there a ceiling for the amount that can be requested, reimbursed? <clears throat> the max is fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. So right now, if your project is thirty is thirty thousand dollars, we're going to match you at fifteen. There we go. If your project is forty thousand dollars, then you're going to max out at fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. So you just either way, the max is fifteen. There you go. So at fifteen thousand max, más o menos, you willing to take a guess how many businesses we might be able to help with this, the current pool that you have, the pool of cash. Well, I can tell you that in fiscal year 2021, we had 20 projects that were approved, and we had a few that remained in progress. So, so we kind of act like a uh, business commercial loan where you can come in and draw on the funds. If you work on your sign first, you can get reimbursed for that. And then if you work on, you know, your landscaping next, you can come back and reimburse for that. So that's a really cool thing about this project is that we've been able to really customize it for small business people because, you know, we've learned that small business people are very, are very different. They're very unique and they have some very unique attributes. So we want to make sure that we're working closely with them. Um, right now, we're coming to the end of our fiscal year mm-hmm. and um, our funds are just about to be tapped out. But... Have no fear, because we start a new fiscal year, mm-hmm. October 1st, and um, budget is looking good, and it looks like the city commission is going to uh, renew this grant program, and I believe that they have allotted $225,000 for downtown refresh opportunities and $200,000 for um for everybody that's outside of downtown. Okay. That is Rebecca Oroguibel, Retail Business Development Director, City of McAllen. This Refresh 5050 grant program coming up to, as she said, to the end of the fiscal year, they got hundreds of thousands of dollars more kicking kicking in next year as well. You're a business owner. You can do some improvements, pretty up, spruce up the, your place outside, the outside of your business, signs or, I don't know, um, shrubbery or parking work that you're going to do. $15,000 is the maximum of the grant that they will reimburse you for what you did to improve the outside of your business. So there you go. Um, you need to be in good standing, as you said, with the city, which means you needed to, you know, you, you should not be carrying a tax bill with the city or make sure you pay your water bill. Uh, make sure you don't have some zone violations, some ticket you haven't, you haven't paid. You need to be in good standing. No criminal charges. You know, also <laughs> no criminal charges as the business owner. <laughs> Important to note. And the refresh zone, there's two of them. There's a downtown portion and then there's the rest of the city, but you need to be within the city limit. City of McAllen in order to participate with us. Anything else that I missed, Becca? 
Um, I think you got it. Okay. And, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for the opportunity and letting um, us get this information out to small business that small businesses out there in McAllen. And we here at the city of McAllen are looking forward to working with them. Please join us on the drive home. Can you stay on the line and speak with, with producer Freddie? See if we can lobby sure, over to the drive home. You can speak with Zach and, oh, Davey, on the drive home. Get some business owners there as well. Thank you, Becca. Best of luck to Rebecca Olaguibel, Retail Business Development Director for our city of McAllen. This is The Sergio Show. day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. In the late July issue of Pediatrics, there was a study showing obesity obesity rates among kids, adolescents, teens, on the rise. I was going to say on the rise again, according to that new study, because we saw these rates go up during the COVID season when kids were stationary. Healthy Living Pro Julia Anto. Ms. Juliet, before we start talking, tell me a bit more about what you do day-to-day, how you pay the bills. What do you do for a living? Sure. Um, I'm, a, I'm currently a, a personal trainer and strength coach. I have worked with Division One athletes in the past. Um, I was director of a youth, uh, youth sports performance um, and exercise program for a while there. So i um, been involved in the gym and exercise my entire life. What do you make of this report in pediatrics? I thought the COVID season did a number on kids, you know, getting fat and now we continue to grow what's going on yeah so it's interesting because um in the early 2010s we were starting to see a possible slight decline um and then those numbers are actually from 2017 to 2020 so that was actually those numbers are actually from before covid Hmm. so it'll be really interesting to see how uh when the new research comes out here in a year or two what the the covid numbers did to those numbers um but I really just think it has a tendency to do with, um, it's a combination of things. Lack of exercise, um, lack of, of kids getting involved in things, more technology. So kids are involved in, in video games and YouTubing and TikToking and you name it, that there's, they're just not getting out as much as they used to. The kids that didn't grow sideways as much, age group 6 to 11, according to the report. And thank you for specifying that uh, this data. Uh, again, this is pre-pandemic numbers we're looking yeah. at. Researchers found that the prevalence of obesity in young ones, ages 2 to 19, increased over 17, almost 18 percent from 2011-2012 to 21 and a half percent, 2017 to 2020. Can you imagine, Julie, how these numbers are just going to skyrocket when they come out with the you know, 2020 to 23 numbers or something like that. The, the pandemic numbers, in other words, so those are those are probably going to go through the roof, I suspect. 
They will, and part of that obviously has to do with the fact that during those first that first eighteen months to, to two years, we just we didn't have programs. Things were shut down. Kids, there was. Um, it took about a year, year and a half for a lot of those activities and sports and programs to start up again. Um, so we will see a decline. But I think the big issue is that these numbers are slowly and gradually increasing every year, regardless of pandemic. And that's something that that we really need to be aware of as um, as parents and as educators and, uh, you know, making sure that our kids are, are moving in the right direction. From your perspective, Julia Anto is a healthy living expert, also a fitness expert. Is it the is it the gaming uh, reality in, in this new generation where they they sit there and they play a long, long time with friends mm-hmm. online? Is is that pretty much what's what's hurting us? Just people, kids staying stationary and just playing games all the time. So I do think that that is a contributing factor. We are seeing that more and more. Um, the gaming industry has boomed. It is literally a billion trillion dollar industry. Um, but we can't forget the fact that yes, kids are moving less, but we, regardless of that, they're also overeating. So you have this combination of those two. You can't just say, you know, well, our kids aren't exercising. They're also eating a lot of junk processed foods and, uh, and that's also a contributing factor. Recommendations you would make as a fitness pro to parents who, you know, time is is at a premium. You know, kids going back to school yep. now, uh, they get out of school, they might have might have some after-school activities. And before you know it, they're home late, there's no dinner, mm-hmm. they got to stick something in their mouth and they go, go get some fast food, fried chicken or stuff like that. And uh, the kids, they need to go to bed because they got to wake up early, all those. Any recommendations you would make for uh, two parents uh, for their kids to try to somehow increase you know, calorie burn. I, yeah, you know, I get it. I have, I have kids that are involved in high school sports and you're right. They don't get home until eight, you know, almost nine o'clock at night and then trying to find food. I think that there are, there are options out there, um, that if the parents are available to cook dinner and the kids can have leftovers, but we know that that's not realistic. Um, there are options where you can buy, uh, pre cooked, say frozen chicken breast that are easy for the kids to, 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 to eat when they get home. There are a lot of healthy options out there. Even fast food places have healthy options. Mm-hmm. If you have lunch meat at home, kids can make sandwiches. If you have um, fruits and vegetables, my daughter loves making smoothies, um, putting all kinds of fruit in there. So if you get a little creative and, and, you know, even just Googling some healthy options for kids, you can find that there are resources out there and yeah. there are options rather than stopping at the drive-thru. Well, not only meal prep for you, but meal prep for the kids and, and have those little tubs of that chicken or maybe little slices of beef or veggie ready to go Absolutely. in little tubs right in the fridge for the week. You, you got to think ahead. Got to buy more fruit on the weekend, right? Things like that. You really do because us as parents, we don't have time. Yeah. And and as much as, Especially you know, you week. might say, well, that's not fair for the kids to eat a, you know, a chicken and veggies in a in a tub container I'd, I'd rather that than have them have you know high cholesterol and heart problems in in five years yeah and there's um, another issue now because of inflation everything's so expensive especially when you eat it out is. you got to think ahead buy it at the store prepare it put in little tubs and yeah use invest in the weekend to go to the store and get some extra fruits and veggies to like you said improvise those smoothies and little snacks and things like that all right anything else julian before i let you go 
That's it. That's it. Plan ahead and and teach your kids, you know, young at a young age and and keep them moving in that direction. Where do folks find you online, Ms. Anto? Uh, They can find me on Facebook and Instagram under Julia Anto. Thank you, Ms. Ms. Julia. Julia Anto, Healthy Living Pro. This is the Sergio Show. From Sensibility, Executive Director Roy Paul. Roy, appreciate the time. We called you to, to talk about increasing tuition costs at many universities across the nation. But before we talk about that, Roy, I, I need to ask your opinion on the other big story that's college-related. And you got the Biden administration. You know, These are my words. These are my words. Essentially buying votes to the tune of $10,000 in loan forgiveness for you know, a chunk of people out there forgiving their, their student loan debt. Just want to get your thoughts on this expected loan forgiveness announcement from the White House. Well, it's shocking that any politician would try to buy votes. <laughs> what a terrible <laughs> thing to suggest. <laughs> I can't imagine any politician not wanting to do I can't imagine that this would be a positive because it's a small group of people. It's $10,000. Right? That's the ceiling uh, for this. But the unfairness of it all, Roy, that's what's getting the traction in, in commentary online. People really pissed off that uh, the White House is about to do something like this. I am shocked that you think that any politician would do something that's unfair to voters. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think what's happening here is President Biden is really trying to manage expectations on both sides, particularly from those who say, look, the country is struggling. There is an economic crisis going on. Let's try to take advantage of everything that we can to lessen the burden of the base. And from that perspective, I understand. However, there is an argument to be made about those who've already paid off their student debt. Uh, And, you know, many people, not everyone, but many people who take out student debt also rearrange other things in their lives, like not getting a half a million dollar house, but instead getting a $200,000 house. Uh, or every year they go on a family vacation, and instead of flying their family somewhere, they put everyone in the backseat of a car and they drive. <laughs> so people make real sacrifices, and at the end of the day, if you're one of those people who've paid off your debt, there's no rebate for you. Uh, if you're one of those people who were diligent uh, in allowing yourselves to budget, the appropriate way for your expenses. There's no relief for you. And you're right, $10,000 may not seem like a huge chunk of change in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it isn't. But for those people who are struggling, uh, it, it would be a bit of a relief, especially if you don't owe more than maybe $50,000. It's a huge chunk of uh, relief. Yeah. But I would say this, we have to get to a place in this country where we start to teach and encourage personal responsibility, right? You go to that college, you know it's $50,000 a year. You know you don't have $50,000 a year to pay for it yourself. And so if you come out of college with $200,000 worth of debt, whose fault is that? Yep, yep. Well, according to Democrats and Joe Biden, well, it's not your fault. It pretty much applies to everything else in life. Roy Paul, executive director, sensibility, my guess right now. And I'd go back to what you were saying, Roy, 
man, these people making less than 125 k a year and they got the $10,000 student loan black cloud still on top of them. Uh, I think they're struggling. Excuse me, but I think they're struggling. Likely it's their own fault. It's, a, again, lack of discipline, going back to what you said, choosing the right school, assuming all this debt, and then not prioritizing paying your bills on time. There's so, so many issues that pop up here. Okay, let's uh, let's go back to why I called you, which is the increase in tuition nationwide. There was one write-up, uh, Iowa Board of Regents, um, 4.25% increase in tuition. Man, compared to the almost 10% year-to-year inflation that we have right now, I'm actually surprised you're only going for almost almost um, four and a half increase in tuition. I think tuition might be skyrocketing in your future at, at all state programs and other systems nationwide, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, and that really is a scam. College tuition is a scam, right? Uh, whether it's private or public, it's all a big scam. You have the professors and those in higher education. Uh, and I'm sure everyone says they love students and they want to educate students, but they also want to financially burden students as well. Uh, and I think we need to acknowledge that because part of what the problem is is that you have a lot of students that are going into a system, and many of them, especially those first generation, you know, they don't have a lot of examples in their family about what college is and, and how much it costs. Uh, the, they, they don't get a ton of aid. A lot of these universities who are taking the tuitions, they're sitting on massive endowments, and they don't want to release those funds. And someone should call them out for that, and it really should be illegal, and I'm serious about this. There should be a law that if you operate and you take any money from the federal government to educate students, if you're sitting on reserves, you should be able to use that. Right? They should force these universities to use that money. And uh, if they did, less students would take out debt relying on loans after they graduate. It's pretty simple. But we don't do that. We allow these colleges to get away with sitting on their endowments, growing them to the detriment of their students. As I let you go, Roy, tell, tell folks uh, here in South Texas how you're helping folks up way up there. Uh, students in particular make some good decisions when it comes to uh, not only their money management, but also, in this case, making a, a good decision on their career and the education for that career. Yeah, you know, we try to provide financial literacy education to make sure that at every step of the way, if you're a young person, you understand the financial cost and and detriment to yourselves that you're going to be setting up for your future and your future generations. We also have a curriculum that we can send to uh, uh, teachers and principals around the country, even in Texas, if they want to utilize that curriculum. It's free of charge. We don't charge anyone for the curriculum. Uh, and so we're trying to do our little bit to make sure that we sort of close the wealth gap in the country. Ten four. Yeah, I, I saw uh, sensibility pop up Houston, Waxahachie, Dallas area. Other so you got you got chapters here in Texas as well. Folks that folks can look up for this. They they can look up this financial information and maybe set up a little class. Right? You can you got chapters in Absolutely. Texas. Absolutely. Right. org. Uh, Google us. Find us. Uh, contact us, and we'll give you the curriculum for free. Ten four. Thank you, Roy. Again, it's plural sense, like you know, pennies and dimes and nickels. <laughs> the C-E-N-T-S, sensibility.org. Thank you, Roy. Roy Paul, joining us from Sensibility. This is The Sergio Show.
Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. This next report, I'm reminded of the infamous Jimmy McMillan. I think that was his name up in New York City. Remember that guy ran for mayor years ago? The name of his party? The rent is too damn high. <laughs> Colorful, very entertaining, but very human character. Yeah, rent at record high rates right now. Lower wages. Might this be leading to more evictions? David Rauch is CEO of Protect Building. What is Protect Building, Dave? Let's start there. Well, we uh, we write uh, homeowner manuals and uh, maintenance manuals for communities for builders all over the United States. We also uh, maintain about a thousand communities in California and Nevada. What do you hear from the front lines of housing? So, record rent, well, and everything is. Now, are yep. we looking at evictions going through the roof as well? Well, evictions are going through the roof for one main reason, and that is the two years that the more federal and state moratoriums were in place, 20 and 21, mm-hmm. you know, they caused quite a law, large backload of evictions. Typically, from 2000 to 2018, there are about 3.5 million evictions a year. So when you put a stop to evictions, it creates quite a backlog. So that's that's the big problem. The second big problem is inflation. And as you know, inflation just eats away at the wages of those least able to afford rent and, uh, you know, the working class folks. And so when you've got 9, 10% inflation, you know, you've got less money to spend on rent because you're having to buy groceries. And people who are renting properties, paying for, for example, taxes, paying more in, in taxes for their property. Somehow, miraculously, you know, they didn't do anything to them, but the value of their place went up, and so did their tax bill. And guess who pays that in the end? Folks who are tenants and, yeah. and paying rent for all that. David Rock is CEO right. of Protect Building. We're talking about rent prices going up and evictions. Well, you said 3.5 million people normally uh, would be evicted uh, in a regular economy, and with the backlog, I'm surprised that I don't hear more uh more stories related to homelessness because if you had two years, you know, seven million backlog plus another three for the following year, you think that the stories of homelessness would be you know, all over the place, or or these stories just not making it to the top of the hour news? Yeah, the the, the stories homelessness is pervasive, and it's especially pervasive in the most restricted regulated states, California and New York City. If you drive along any major freeway near Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, you will see nothing but tents that line the freeway. Blue tents. Uh, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of homeless people. And uh, that's caused by the high cost of housing and rent, which uh, is not going to get better either. You know, the droughts that are hitting a lot of the wheat producing 
the food-producing regions of the world right now are going to cause commodity prices to increase very soon. And then OPEC is also talking about uh, cutting production of gas, which is going to raise gas prices again soon. So more, it's not a situation that's going to get better. I think it's going to get worse. You know, David, more than a generation ago, as a kid and teenager, mostly kid, I, you know, I, I paid attention uh, because of my parents, especially my mom. I paid attention to the news back then. And I recall how, you know, the the economists back then would say, well, it's a an economy where people are migrating to where jobs are. They might be leaving Texas because of oil and going to other places, and then vice versa, and saying the same thing. All these folks that are living beneath tents and these large communities that are homeless, uh, I know this is not your bailiwick, but uh, I'm sure it's come up in conversation. And I wonder why do a lot of these folks not just – you know, find a way to pack up either through charitable organizations, non-government organizations, just find a way to pack up and go where the jobs are. Go to the Southwest, go to the South, go to Florida, go to Texas, go, go somewhere. How is it possible that in an information age where information is so abundant and the jobs are so plentiful right now that some of these folks just don't pack up and say, screw California, I'm out of here. Uh, I'll, I'll find a way to get myself to a job. Well, that's that's a good question, and I do believe the answer is the fact that they're living on a shoestring. You know, many Americans only have four hundred dollars um, of 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 emergency savings. You know, they're living on so many Americans are living on a shoestring, and uh, they you know they rent. People do follow the jobs, and that's why so many Americans, so many Californians, have moved to Texas and Florida. Because there are not only jobs there, but there's much less expensive homes and, and cost of living. So, uh, so that that's my guess as to why the, the the folks that rent the most do not follow the jobs more closely. Why is California? You mentioned California earlier, and that and you got some expertise in, in the housing market there. Why are they so screwed up? Where such small parcels of land and old beat up homes are so expensive, and even professionals educated, like highly educated people in Northern California, almost living on the street, and still they got, you know, high-tech jobs nearby in San Jose or other places like that. Why, why is California's home market so screwed up? Well, it's not only screwed up, it's a good lesson in what not to do in the rest of the country. And there, there are other states that are becoming screwed up, too. But the reason, the main reason California is so screwed up is because of overregulation by the state government. And what I'm talking about is it's very difficult to build new homes or apartments. And the reason being is there's a law in California, and it's called the, the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA. And any person can bring a lawsuit on against a new community that's about to be built before it's even built. It's so easy to bring these lawsuits, and they're shutting down projects. And the typical time it takes to get a building permit for a project is about three years. And the cost to hold that land for three years is extraordinary. And that's why in San Francisco, to be able to afford to buy a home, a, a, an average home, you have to make $300,000 a year. Uh, and that's why yeah. very, very few homes and apartments are being, being built in California. Right. That's why so many people are living in tents here right. in California. David, thank you. From ProTech Building Services, David Rout. This is The Sergio Show. On the front lines of helping 
drug addicts recover. Addiction expert, recovery pro, Shirley Wantland is my guest. Fentanyl is all in the news. Do you recall, Ms. Shirley, how far back did we start seeing this fentanyl demon starting to rise in our country to the point now that, man, we got hundreds of thousands of people losing their lives over several years in our country. Uh, fentanyl, you, you, it, it was not part of the headlines some years back. When did all this no. you know, fentanyl danger start that, that you recall? For me, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, I mm. started seeing it uh, on the streets of San Francisco probably about six or seven years ago. We started hearing about a lot more overdoses, and at that time, it was a lot of the homeless, kind of um, vagrant sort of population that was dying on the streets. And what was happening was um, fentanyl was being cut into street drugs like heroin, crack, cocaine, methamphetamine, and people were unknowingly taking fentanyl because they didn't know it was in cut in these street drugs. And the trend that we've seen over the past few years is it's gone from people taking it unknowingly to now knowingly seeking out fentanyl. That is crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's that's crazy. what we've been seeing. It's a painkiller, right? It, this this fentanyl thing, right? It's a painkiller? Yes. It's a synthetic uh, opiate. So mm. it to give people context, it's about 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin and morphine. So it's like Oxycontin times, you know, 100. Folks who are addicted to these these painkillers, do their, do, do their bodies become... Do they eventually through time, do they start growing, let's say, like a, a callous uh, reaction toward toward these drugs where they need stronger, higher dose, more potency in order to get that that high that, that, they, that they're looking for? Absolutely. And for people that are using opiates like heroin uh, or Oxycontin, they're looking to numb out. So they're looking to stop feeling. And now you have a substance in fentanyl that is even better at doing that. So they, along their trajectory of addiction, you know, if they've been using opiates for a while, oh my gosh, now there's some new thing that's even stronger, better, easy, cheaper. And they, that's why we're seeing kind of this this epidemic that's happening. And a spiral descent to hellish, spiral descent towards death, I would imagine, as they continue to get that. That next high, Shirley Wantland is from Northern California, San Francisco area. She's a an addiction expert, recovery expert. Uh, I did you do you have any work in, in helping folks addicted addicted, for example, to to alcohol? Because I, I was hoping to get, I was hoping to compare like how, how many people you help that are alcoholics versus how many people you help that are into these very strong opiate opiate type drugs. Yeah, I would say it's about 50-50. Um, <laughs> wow. Alcohol is still our most prevalent drug, and it's, it's, it can be difficult because it's so widely accepted socially and culturally. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, with these hard drugs where people are, oh, you know, don't do that. I mean, we all, so many of us go to happy hours and celebrations are always with alcohol, and so it can still be 
very difficult for people that are struggling with alcohol um, because it's so culturally ingrained. How painful is the recovery from the opiates and the synthetic ones? How, how painful, how long is the recovery for, for someone who says, to hell with this, I, I, I don't want to die, and will have to be strapped into a bed for how long, and how painful is it for that person to recover? Um, you know, we've come a long way in the medications that are available to help with detox, so it can be quite comfortable. Um, the length of time, I think, would depend on the person, what else they're using, how long have they been using, how much. But generally, I would say rule of thumb, anywhere between four days to ten days is kind of the range um, for a detox. All right. How, the success rate, success rate of people who actually want to recover, what is it ballpark figure percentage-wise, Shirley? In, in the industry overall, mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty low. I would say it's about 15% of people in general. Um, and that's just looking at everyone that's tried uh, going into recovery or sobriety. But I would say if they want, the want and the motivation is the biggest key factor. Mm. Uh, a lot of times people try to get into treatment or try to get sober for, you know, because their family's pressuring them or some sort of court system or whatever, but when the want is there within themselves, we see the numbers a lot higher. I don't have like a, a study or percentage, but that anecdotally, that's what I've seen. Yeah, in I my think work. you have. It's, yeah, I've heard this know. before. It's very, it's a very, sadly, it's a very low number of, of folks yeah. who actually are successful, like one in eight, one in seven, something like that. Do you think, uh, do you think some of these people who succeed perhaps or have a, a genetic advantage where, it's easier for them. You know how they say that some people have a genetic predisposition to fall into that mm -hmm. chasm. Uh, might some of these folks might be the are the, are they wired in a way where maybe it's easier for them to climb out of that hole? Do you know? That's a good question. I think we're all wired so differently, and there's so many different influences, especially when it comes to addiction. It's so complex because there is kind of this genetic component, and then there is this kind of environmental situational component combined. So it's a little hard to know which is which. I will say what I've seen is people that have the motivation and have the right support in place to keep themselves accountable uh, are the ones that are able to succeed. And, you know, it's something outside of just themselves, mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of help them move forward. Okay. And I that think it's what I've seen. Uh, you know, most successful and creating a life outside, you know, worth living. So, yes, you've stopped the drugs, but now how are you going to They need a purpose, time? yeah, something and to I drive And I think them. that's why so many people fail is they, they stop the drugs, but they don't create a life that's really worth living. For yeah, them. and it's and a vicious like, circle. I mean, they, they go down that yes. path. It's a vicious circle. Then they alienate their families, friends, anyone who would yes. potentially love them or protect them, and then they find themselves alone. So, yeah, that... That's really sad. All right. Ms. Shirley, how do folks find you? you have a website or podcast or maybe a book? How do they, folks find you, Shirley? Yeah, absolutely. People can find me on recovery-consultant.com. And um, it has all the information on how to get in touch with us and just more information about addiction and recovery and mental health in general. Recovery Pro, Shirley Wantland. Thank you, Shirley. This is The Sergio Show.